0: Welcome to the Talent Cast, the lost episodes, or the lost interviews. I haven't decided what to call them as I record this, so I guess I have decided what to call them. Anyway, I did four amazing interviews during my break, my hiatus, well, at least when my hiatus started, when I was planning on coming back to the talent cast very quickly. And I have not made decisions as to whether or not I'm coming back to the talent cast, but I had these amazing interviews with some amazing, wonderful, smart people that I knew if I kept on my hard drive any longer, the guilt would just kill me. And I needed to get these things out to the world. So that's what we're doing. We're releasing the lost interviews in one foul swoop. Uh, I hope you enjoy them, but we have a few... Housekeeping notes. First of which is, I have got to thank Chad and Cheese uh, of Chad and Cheese. That's, uh, <laughs> that's Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman, who not only are good friends of mine and who just turned fifty a day apart from each other. So that feels suspicious somehow. Anyway, neither here nor there. They uh, they and the Evergreen Network have sponsored and kept my podcast going uh, for the last year plus, and I, I really do appreciate what you know them and what they've done and how they've really kind of put push the employer brand recruitment marketing space forward in the, in the podcast world. So thank you, Joel, thank you, Chad, thank you so much for having me as part of this network and we'll see where the future takes us. I don't know where that's gonna be. Two other notes. First, you know that book I wrote and then that other book I wrote? I'm making them free. Not not just, hey, it's on Amazon, I I don't have any cost here, I'm I'm lowering the cost really. I mean, literally, I put it all in a Google Doc, and if you go to employerbrandbook.com, it takes you to the Google Doc. The actual text and images of the books are right there. They're freely available for you to read, for you to copy and paste, for you to clip stuff from, for you to share, to give to your boss, to give to your coworkers, whatever you want. I'm putting it out in the world. My goal, as always, both of the podcast and the newsletters and the books and all that stuff is to raise the conversation of employer brand, to let people know how amazing employer brand can be. Rather than try and flog a book, I'm trying to say, here, take it, get some value out of it, share this with people who need to have their perspective changed on what employers can, employer brand can be. That's what it's all there for. I don't make a penny. How could I? It's a Google doc. So please share. That again is employerbrandbook.com. Second thing, my efforts that used to go into the podcast now go into a weekly newsletter called Employer Brand Headlines. If you like the podcast, you're going to love the headlines. Why? You won. You don't have to hear my voice. Two, I write like I talk, so it's almost like you hear my voice. And three, you can read my little newsletter in much less time it takes than to listen to a podcast. So there you go. It's much faster. If you go to employerbrand.news, there it is. Go ahead and sign up. It's free. It drops every Monday. And, uh, you know, we have 1,500 subscribers, which I think makes us the biggest employer brand newsletter in the world, which is crazy. But there you go. Anyway. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Like I said, I don't know what the future holds, but I appreciate you being a part of it and listening and sharing and telling me what you thought. I really listened to every word. Um, I don't know where the future is. I don't know where we're heading, but I look forward to what we've got next. So without any further ado, thank you so much again. Here's the interview. All right, uh, another wonderful conversation I am with Someone I've known for a while, surprisingly, a long amount of time. I actually met Jill before I got into employer brand specifically. So uh, Jill Dudonis is the, gosh, let's get the right title. Let's do this, right? Director of Strategy at Gyro. She's been at a number of agencies. She's worked at, you know, if you go to her LinkedIn, she's got all sorts of agencies and brands that she's done amazing work for. Uh, And what I just found out right before we started is that she worked at the same agency I did before the agency we worked at that I remembered. So she's been doing employer brand and talent recruitment and and talent marketing for a very long time. So I am thrilled to be able to have this conversation. Everybody, welcome Jill. Jill, uh, everybody, everybody, Jill.
1: Everybody, welcome James.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's the level of formality and and structure and seriousness that everybody comes to expect from these sorts of things. Um, Okay, so let's just dive right in because I think you and I talked a little bit about this, and I think we're on the same page and this idea that employer branding is, yes, it's relatively new, but how new is new? I mean, I talk about it, you know, from a Simon Burroughs, 1992, you know, London beginning. How do you see the employer brand beginning? Where, when did it become really real, especially in the States?
1: I think it became real right after the last downturn, when companies were, um, you know, struggling to survive. There were a lot of layoffs, and you know, when that happens, a lot of changes happen internally. And when they come out, it's like, oh my goodness, we need to hire. Um, there was a shift from the seriousness of brand building at about. I would say 2011, 2012. Thinking, okay, you know, this this short term, short term work to to kick out um, some collateral to get some sales and some tactics to get you know to increase our sales so we can survive, um, shifted to like longer term brand building. And within that, that's when the employer brand started to you know, well, how do we hire and how do we leverage this brand building that we're doing um for our talent audiences. And I think that's at the point that, you know, the word employer brand started to be used quite often. And then all of a sudden by 2018, we had quite a few large Fortune 100, 200 companies that had employer brand functions. Even some smaller companies or mid-sized companies were starting to have them as well. Um but that's that's kind of, you know, um overall where I think it started. However, um uh employer branding has been done through the the title of recruitment marketing for a long time and you know that's where i began my career around 1999 with nike no less um at tmp worldwide when if anyone can remember the child labor law violations that nike was um exposed for They had to think about okay, how do we represent ourselves and admit our wrongdoing to our our broader consumer audience? And then how do we transform who we are as an employer? And that's the project, though I was very green um, and did a lot of research around that. You know, that's where I began. Look at my work in employer branding, and now what they thought it, you know, how they, they of course didn't call it an employer brand, um, but it was a campaign. And so it was a campaign that ran um, Omni Channel back then, which was everything, um, and even a, a, a digital landing page at that time, uh, they did as well. But it was about okay, let's have a campaign that runs. Um, globally, for all of our audiences to get to know us better as an employer and what we value and what we what we are going to commit to um, in terms of offering our talent audiences and our consumer audiences. So that's that was my first exposure to it, and since then, um, between that time and then uh, around 2011 2012. You know, employer brand was—they were campaigns. They were really marketing recruitment campaigns. There wasn't a lot of thought uh, put into place. And okay, well, where where does this sit in our larger brand um, architecture? Um, as it relates to our our corporate uh, corporate brand value proposition, our our purpose, our mission, our vision, where does it fit? And, you know, even today, a lot of companies are having a having that challenge. Um, and uh, some of the work that I do, I would say about 25% of my agency work is in employer branding. And um, that's a question that I, I help large companies, specifically B2B, figure out. Um, so that's historically, you know, where it went from campaign uh, a campaign-driven activity to now a brand-building exercise within the talent space. That's how things have evolved.
0: So it's it, it's almost a function of how, where's the the end of the horizon for these people? First, it's how do I get the butt in the seat? You've got a horizon of about, you know, 60 to 90 days. You've got a horizon of campaign, which is three to six months. And then you've got a horizon now in modern employer brand, which is functionally ever, right? It's, it's a, right. you know, infinite. It is, we want to keep building this brand and growing it and evolving it and nurturing it and feeding it so it, you know, becomes the brand we want it to be, that it, it has a much longer half-life than anything uh, a campaign-related.
1: Right, right. And, you know, it's, it's right now, well, <laughs> before the pandemic, you know, when, when talking with with clients and they'd say, okay, well, great. We've just put together our employer, uh, employer brand value proposition. We've got that. We've got our messaging. We have our message maps based on our, our key talent roles. We've, we've got everything. We've got our rollout plan. We're ready to go. Um, This is going to live forever. Right. And the answer is no, you know, before the pandemic, we would advise every 36 months, taking a look at it and evolving it, whether that's shifting around the pillars within a message house to, um, to be more relevant, or it's it's um, shifting the value proposition altogether um, as well. You know, it needs to it needs to live and breathe, and so it needs to change and, and adapt. I mean, I can't imagine, and unfortunately, I, I will say that I worked on a very large um, employer brand project for over a year with a large credit analysis uh, credit and risk analysis company that everyone's heard of, and we worked on it for a long time it came out it's perfect it's ready to launch and then the pandemic hit and some yeah. of the messaging that we were using for that was it was very purpose purpose led and purpose driven language and uh position and then you know covid happened and wow all brands are talking about purpose right now and so there was ugh. It was a lot of clouded space for that, so yeah, yeah. you know it's you have to be nimble and you have to you have to evolve quickly. In um, in thirty six months is the is the longest, and I think that that COVID is going to, to shorten that, and that may look something more like eighteen months, if not twelve.
0: So you're expecting most companies to really seriously consider, not just kind of touch base, but seriously consider evaluating and measuring and and considering their employer brand EVP every 12 to 18 months
1: yeah i think so
0: holy crap that's amazing
1: <laughs> what do you think
0: i have no idea frankly i and i part of it and i think i want to get back to this because um you know the, there's a lot of trends and fashion in employer brand right now like if you look at every article you know everything is about um uh god don't no, look word and look for the purpose it's all purpose driven that every employer brand should be about purpose what's the purpose and I don't think that that's true. I think that's just pure fashion. So yeah, I think in your case, if the fashion kind of ends up being where you wanted to go and you've clouded the waters and you've made, you know, you're one of many, then yeah, you gotta pivot a bit, but at the same time, did the company really change? So I guess the question is yes. in in the in the mathematics and the equation of what your employer brand is, some of it is external, some of it is internal. Those things change at different rates and at different speeds. So how often do you evaluate to say, did we change? Did they change? Did we change in the same way? We change in very different ways. And that's how you reevaluate.
1: And and that is what has been happening over the past 10 months is that companies are changing significantly to adapt to the unpredictability that's been thrown at them because of the pandemic. And so, for instance, you know we're seeing companies collapse. We're seeing mergers and acquisitions. Um, and reorganizations. Some companies are fil- filing for Chapter 11, but they're getting funding and have to reemerge. So the com- companies, and, and again, I work with large enterprise uh, B2B, so this is not so much B2C, but with B2C companies are going through enormous amount of change right now. And so um, with the reorganization, um, for instance, I, a top tier consultancy that I worked with was, you know, redefining what regions they were going to to um, uh, make their primary uh, their primary re- regions, and they were adapting new operating models there, uh, and so they had to redefine their culture and the relationship that you know people have with with the brand. Um, There was a leading SATCOM that I worked with who filed for Chapter 11, and they got a ton of funding to reemerge, but you know what? They had to get rid of all of their leadership, so they needed to kind of rebrand themselves as, you know, who are we in terms of, um, as an employer, not only as a brand, we, we did that work too, but as an employer, who are we? Because they had some pretty awful perceptions about the people yeah. who drove the company into the ground yeah um, well, i'm sure
0: if you're wells fargo if you had a huge scandal in front of you yes. you have to and i'm not saying we're not calling out wells fargo it's just that's an obvious one so what are some other like milestone or um you know must can't miss kind of opportunities to say hey things have changed enough that we have to consider you've got changing leadership you've got well global pandemic i think that was a given uh, or at least unstated um what else
1: I think the the other part of it is um, there are two areas. And one, you mentioned purpose, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But the other area is, okay, we're getting beat beat up in the market right now because we're a big old company. We've been slow to adapt. So you know what? We need to be a tech company. Every single company I have spoken with over the past three years, the need behind whatever it is they needed was, you know what? We need to become a tech company. And they don't because everybody's – it's not a differentiator. It's not, it, They just need to put tech at the core of their business, which they have, yeah. haven't had time or haven't cared to do. And so when they do that, it's, you know what, we have to attract tech talent. But nobody wants to work here because they all want to work at Google and Amazon. And. Um, if you're a
0: hospital, if you're a bank, if you're a warehouse, if you're, yeah, you 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 are tech companies and you need that tech right. talent, but you know that talent's looking someplace else,
1: right? And so usually the need comes when the um the your employee um ratios change within across roles, and so okay, so now we have to recruit thirteen thousand techs globally as opposed to last year, we only recruited 88. So how do we do that? And how do we shift our employer brand? Because not only are we going to get all of these techs, we kind of are starting to transform, which means a cultural mindset shift, which means the other people who we hire have to be forward thinking. And so that is one of the big, you know, um, shifts that I've seen over the past couple years, and even more right now. And that's something that's happening. So It's a need for a different kind of skill set, and we know that techs are deeply in demand, and of all of the different functions over the past 10 months, they've only lost 6%. 6% of them have lost their jobs in some way, um, whether it was um, their choice or their employer's choice, but that's the lowest out of... uh, the unemployment numbers in the U.S. over the past ten months, and so those people are really, really difficult to recruit because everybody wants them. Um, but yeah, so a change in the roles that you need, and then the other part of it um, is purpose. Now you talk about you talked about it being in vogue, and everybody, you know, it's it's the fashionable thing to do is to look at purpose. Well, um, there's a reason why it's happening, and it's not so much fashion, but there's a business case for it. And again, I work in B2B mostly. And, um, you know, over the past, oh gosh, since around 1986, there were companies who were starting to believe in purpose and put it and have strong purpose statements. And not just a purpose statement is, you know, why we exist, but an actionable purpose of, you know, this is what we do um, um, to, uh, you know, live out or to... uh, you know exemplify what our purpose is and you know like patagonia is one of them in 1986. Um, I feel like
0: I feel like I gotta stop you there because then you can't I think it's too easy to go to patagonia for purpose it's like saying tech company slash apple or you know design company slash apple we got to right we, we got what's what what's a, another good example that I might be surprised by when you think about purpose not patagonia not rei not a nonprofit. what's a great company doing purpose really really well.
1: Well, <laughs> again, I, I look mostly at B2B companies and Salesforce is, I would say, doing an amazing job and they walk, they they talk the talk and then they walk the walk in terms of purpose. Um, but when I mentioned Patagonia, they were the first company to tip their toes in to what is called a dual purpose company before they were called dual purpose companies, or, you know, you might call, think of them as B Corps. They started becoming B Corps in 2007. But, but what's happened is while Patagonia kind of started that around 1986, it's really gaining speed. And in the world um, economic forum last year, the Davos manifesto, you know, their purpose statement for, for that, for, for that forum was, Um, the universal purpose of a company is the fourth industrial revolution. That is what, you know, they stated. And we're seeing other companies follow. And as I said, there's a business case for being purpose, you know, latter purpose driven um, that 83% of companies outperform on revenue um, than other companies because of their purpose statement. It informs everything in terms of value, their, their uh, supply chain. Um, and and that's because 78% of Americans will tell other people to buy from a company that's purpose driven. Um, and 71% of B2B, buy, B2B buy, buyers specifically are more likely to purchase when they see their personal, personal value reflected in a company's purpose. And these are new stats that came out in April, but there has been a business case being made for purpose from um, two thousand and ten, um, and between two thousand and ten and I and I should have written down his name. I forgot his name. He a very famous uh, marketing professor who writ- wrote many books that we've all read. Sorry, his name is 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 escaping me, but. You know, he reported a 206% stock market outperformance between 2010 and now for companies who are purpose-led uh, or purpose-driven companies. So, so you're
0: in the purpose is really a big part of your employer I, brand
1: it's a, it's a It's a big part of your brand when you do something to exemplify it. And that means that you don't just have a, a fun, happy purpose statement that everyone can feel More really good about but there are actually initiatives that your company is funding or expanding due to its commitment so there is an action for it and there this and I know we're talking about on the on the commerce or the consumer side but this really impacts talent because the same people who are driving purpose is consumers and especially millennials driving purpose as employees, and they want to be able to see the impact of their work. And so I've done many surveys and qualitative interviews over the past three years. And about three years ago, it was came in at about number three, is, is I want to be able to make an impact. I want to have a greater purpose in my job. And that's at about a number two right now. And the pandemic has really driven that up. Um, so that is why we're seeing those messages is because there's an actual business case for it and there's a, a, a very strong talent need for it. Um, so I don't think that, you know, what, what happens next, who knows? <laughs> I mean, really, but, um, that's, that's one of the things that's really important to talent and how do we show talent that, you know, we're really committed and they're going to make a difference when they come work here. And that, even from the, the, the tech talent who I spoke about, that's mm-hmm. super important.
0: So what are some other things that you think of beyond purpose when you're considering culture EVP employer brand? What are the things you look for? Um, maybe a bigger, better question is when you're looking at an employer brand, what's the first thing you look at to evaluate the employer brand?
1: Um, well, the first thing that we look at is the... How well is it functioning, first of all, and what the results are of how it functions. And so, a lot of times, um, I know I'm speaking broadly, but a, a client will come to us and say, "You know, we we need a new employer brand. We need we need a new EVP." And the question is always, "Why?" You know, and and they're like, "Well, we need to we need to um, attract another audience, or et cetera." Like I like I mentioned before. Um, But then you start to dig into it and you realize, you know what? You didn't really have an employer brand to begin with. And so that's the first area is diagnosing the problem. And sometimes the problem is that, you know, your EVP actually doesn't matter. It's the delivery of being on lots of different channels and reaching your talent where they are with the right message that you're just not doing. Because all you're doing is going to career, career fairs and setting up a booth.
0: So I want to stop right there because I think that's that's a fascinating kind of situation because I always approach situations like that saying every company has an employer brand. It's just not necessarily intentional or not necessarily serving them in terms of attracting and hiring the talent they want. Are you saying you see companies or you think of companies as having as not having an employer brand or not having a formal employer brand?
1: I I don't think that I mean, of course, they have every every company has its own sort of feel and um, internally they have a type of feel that you could say that that is their and their, that is their employer brand. It's just not defined. I think of that more as culture though um, mm. because I've, I feel that the employer brand is a delivery mechanism of culture and a lot of times there's nothing that's integrating that on the internal um, within the company as well as external on the outside of the company. And sometimes a lot of problems that we see with, hey, help us do a new EVP, is that they're only engaging the external audience and they've completely forgotten about their employees.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. and I think that is absolutely fascinating. I literally stopped and wrote down that line. Employer brand is the delivery of culture. I think that is a, a an excellent encapsulation of an idea. Now, in order for someone to get value out of that, I think, because <laughs> not only is employer brand poorly defined in general, so is culture. So if you're saying employer brand is the delivery of culture, how are you defining culture? What, you know, what are the guidelines you're putting around it? What are the, the, the guide rails you're putting around it? How are you seeing it where it, it is more than a poster? It is more just the, than just the motto and the things you say you say instead of you know, what it really is. How do you approach culture?
1: I believe that culture is at the hub of a wheel within a corporation and everything that the corporation or the company enterprise, whatever you want to call it, touches is a stream for which culture to flow through. So that is product culture should be through product. It should be through uh, every single touch point that an audience member has, whether that's a candidate uh or it is a customer, or it is an employee. So that's everything from product to customer service, to your digital experience, to um, your ERG groups, to um, onboarding, to training, development, um, and product development, even the process of product development, your infrastructure, everything. So culture is this kind of you know, life source that runs through all of it. And of course it runs through employer brand as well as it's a, it's, it's, it's part of um, a, a corporate brand or a corporate uh, structure or employer. Uh, I'm sorry. It's part of an organizational structure. or It's part of a brand structure. So it's, it's kind of like the, the, the blood of a enterprise really. Um, and so everyone has a different type of, of, you know, blood type. <laughs> and um,
0: By the way, I just, I love being on a, a conversation where someone's going to try and out motive, uh, metaphor me. And that, no, that doesn't not, happen. Very often, so I love it.
1: I, I'm pretty literal direct, So no, that doesn't happen often. Don't worry. I won't, I won't. I won't <laughs> no, often. go for it. But um, but that's really what it is. It's, it, it's this sort of life force that, that flows through everything. And that, you know, I really believe, I know we worked together at flirt and we had a few clients who we worked on, uh, cultural, um, experiences with. And I really believe this conversation I would have with quite a few of them is that you can't force a culture and you can't create one. You can only organically let it live and cultivate it and and nurture it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like you, you you can have a blood infusion, but you're still going to wind up with the same type, you know, blood type that you have. Yeah.
0: And you're still going to think the same thoughts and you're still going to feel the same way. You might feel a little healthier because you've got I don't know, right. better blood. Let's extend that metaphor far <laughs> past it's, its legal obligation. Um, no, I think that's completely true. I think there are too many companies think, oh, culture is what the leader says it is. I think leaders can set up kind of structures or tent poles and say, look, this is the, oh, let's go back to, you know, you've got a river metaphor, you've got nature metaphors, you know, it is the, the trellis and I want things to grow around this kind of structure. That doesn't mean every vine is going to go on every piece. It doesn't mean that the, the vine is going to grow equally across the board. It means that this is anticipation and encouragement, and maybe you're even incentivizing these ideas, but it's not the same as saying this is the culture.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. And and there's a lot of overlap between what we do with employer brand and what we do with culture to, to shift either one of those things. And sometimes when a client comes to us with, a, with an employer brand problem, it's a culture problem. And, you know, you and I are, are in this space and our lines are continually being blurred between who are we as cultural change management experts versus who are we as marketing and brand experts versus who are we as talent experts and those lines are being blurred so a lot of times it's about you know helping to redefine the culture we've been we have a culture but it's been defined incorrectly we have not put our finger on what it really is about us that's unique or different and that's some of the work that you know can happen in tandem with or before uh, an employer brand project to kind of get that straight.
0: So, and I want to kind of, kind of put a little pin in that and kind of red flag that and say, look, you know, it is about defining the culture, but that's defining the culture isn't the same as creating the culture. You know, if you are looking at something and you say our culture is about A, B, and C, and you reinforce that and you keep talking about it, it's going to feel more A, B, and C. People are going to notice A, B, and C. But A, B, and C may not be the totality of the culture. You might be, in some cases, ignoring some fairly negative aspects of the culture, or the downside, or the edges of the culture, right. where you're trying to say, look, you know, yes, every human being is flawed and imperfect and yada yada yada, but what I like about right. Bob or Sue or you know whoever is I like their sense of humor and that's the, the, the things I bring out in them. That's the things I like getting out of them. Are they sad sometimes? Sure. Are they sad when I'm not around? Maybe, but what I like about them is their is sense of humor and that's kind of how you approach culture. It's not the whole thing. It's about what are the things you cherry pick to pull out to say, these are the things you know, imperfect as we are, as, as as big as we are, these are the things that we like about ourselves and we wish we can always want to encourage more of. And that's the starting point. That becomes the hook by which you have a conversation.
1: Right, exactly. And, you know, you talked a little bit about the the negative aspects and defining and, and pointing those out. And, you know, that's really important. Um, a, a project I'm doing now, um, they've done this huge uh, culture cultural uh, change management work in which they've defined their culture and it's extremely complex. Um, But one of the things that, you know, we're trying to show them where culture and employer brand kind of merge together and how we can dial up some aspects of what they've defined. And they're trying to understand, okay, well, why is, why is that important? And especially the negative things, why is that important? And one of the stats that I showed them, which is from October it's a CHC study of 84% of women and 75% of men have left a company due to bad company culture since March. So these are people who during a pandemic, during one of the worst unemployment uh, rates in our history, have elected to leave a company because of bad culture. So um It is really let's
0: get super fine on that. Not only have they elected to leave, they've elected to jump into a brand new company they only know limited pieces of information about. They have changed their complete and total life just in in blind faith almost.
1: Yes. And, and, and you know, you and I have both joined a new company during this pandemic, and it's weird. (laughs) It is, it's not, it's not, um, I, I don't care how well your company does it. It's not a natural experience, and it's What are you talking about? Just because
0: I haven't met my bosses yet.
1: <laughs> you know, you yeah, you haven't seen the office. You haven't gotten to to really meet your coworkers. Um, you know, I've I've joined a new company three months ago, and I, I kind of feel like a freelancer because I'm working at home. People are just sending me things to do, and it you know mm-hmm. it's just it's weird. And they're doing yeah. their best. They really are. But I don't think that there's any, I don't think there's any any real way to fix that right now, yeah. um, and so yeah, they they've left the comfort of you know being at a company and and their job security and their safe feeling of safety just because the culture didn't you know match their, their values didn't match what the company's culture values were, um, so yeah, that that's really important when we're looking at employer brand is to consider that cultural advantage or disadvantage when we're we're trying to put together a value proposition and and ultimately the messaging and rollout
0: all right so i want to take a little bit of a left-hand turn because you're one of no. the people who i know no 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 you're gonna love this you're one of the few people i know i can talk to on a deeper level about the concept of brand structure or brand architecture yep most people in employer branding it's not a good or bad it's not on pointing fingers and saying they all suck or we all suck or whatever it's just that we're not formally trained in branding most of us, you know, most people, I know, important branders come from marketing side or, or recruiting side, but either way, it's a very rare day that they've taken a course in brand architecture or brand structure. And so consequently, we're very often fumbling in the dark for understanding why things happen or, or ways of describing what's occurring, especially as you're implementing, uh, making a change or, you know, putting stimulus to a brand and saying it's, oh, it's, 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 it's reacting to it. Why is that? And and knowing and having a sense of our framework of what the brand is and what the structure is, is incredibly helpful for that. And to me, um, that is like the place where I I think that's what's made me better at my job is having a a kit of structures and archetypes to go to to say, this is why this is happening. Mm -hmm. And I know that you have a similar kit, you have a similar kind of body of work that you go to and say, I understand what brand structure is and what brand architecture is. And especially, as you've touched on already, employer brand and the broader brand architecture are not separate. They're very much, right. if not inter- if not the same, then at least intertwined. So let's talk a bit about that. How do you see employer brand living inside the broader brand architecture?
1: So it, it depends on the organization and how they're structured and what their goals are um, from a consumer standpoint as well as a talent standpoint. So uh you, you know i've worked with agencies and oftentimes agencies will like to standardize what that architecture is so that it simplifies our work so that we can de- deliver faster i sh- i struggle with that because i not always there's always there are always some main touch points that that stay intact but for each project i kind of alter you know what that framework might look like for that brand in terms of where does the employer brand live and breathe. Um, and that's also based on the fact of knowing who at the company is in place to help it live and breathe and be healthy. Because sometimes there there isn't really a robust team to, to do that work. And if the company isn't willing to um, hire a, a, an external party to do that, you have to really right size, you know, how this employer brand is, is going to fit into the greater scheme of things. But
0: just, um, and just to be clear, are we talking about organizational structure or are we talking about brand structure?
1: Um, well, both really. It, okay. it, and, and sometimes one, one influences the other, but if the, if structure from a, from an organizational structure perspective, if there isn't enough or there aren't the right people to be able to support the employer brand. The employer brand needs to be shifted within its brand structure. And that's usually how I look at it first is based on, okay, what is doable here? Um, But ultimately, you know, yeah, you're right. There are some frameworks that um, I will rely on. And it's usually, you know, there's a lot of terminology that we throw around is marketers and strategists Uh, it's how we scare people it is it's and there there's (laughs) it's funny because i'm pulling up um a a powerpoint that i have that has taken all of the different brand frameworks that i have worked on and all of the different definitions for all of those components that i have used and it they are so diverse um that's, that's great Overall, you know, I, I really believe that the first thing that sits on, you know, if we think about hierarchy and the first thing that is is um, is at the top is, is business strategy. And that's one thing that employer branders and, um, you know, employer brand teams who are, you know, cross-functional who are working together to try to to build employer brand don't always consider the business strategy. And you really need to put whatever the business strategy is on top because that informs talent needs. And so if you have business strategy on top, talent needs, then below that, um, you have, I'm sorry, business strategy on top, which incorporates internal brand, which would be mission, vision, and purpose. Um, and everyone has some. Some people don't have. Some companies don't have all three of those. Sometimes they just have one. Sometimes they have two. Sometimes mm-hmm. they have more than those three things. Um, but then there's- depends on what
0: consultant they hired and how much they paid them. Go ahead. Yes,
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, and I, I'm in the I'm in the mindset that you know simple is is better. But you know you have the business strategy on top. You have the internal brand that that lives underneath that mission, vision, purpose that supports that. And then you have working outwardly the Corporate Brand Value Proposition, and under that is Talent and Culture, Um, and that envelops a sub-pillar of the brand for um, DEI and its value proposition, employer um, brand and its value proposition, and the ESG-CSR proposition. Um, And that is how a very simple top-down framework that generally seems to work in some capacity um, for where the employer brand sits. Now, oftentimes what will happen is clients will want to shove the DEI and the ESG value propositions inside of the employer brand. And I am not in agree with that that ever.
0: Okay. So before we get into that, CSR is uh, a corporate social responsibility. Yes, DEI is diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm-hmm. ESG is the new one on me.
1: Um, in, uh, environmental uh, sustainability governance.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so yeah, so you're you're saying they want to put all of that stuff and dump it inside an employer brand yeah, it, structure.
1: It become they become two pillars sometimes one pillar and you'll have you know um on top of the the messaging for an EVP you'll have a core message and then you'll have supporting pillars and always they want to shove in a pillar that says diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is so annoying <laughs> to have to deal with that because it's an afterthought. It's like, oh yeah, we got to get we've got to get the diversity in there. Oh yeah, it's important. Yeah. To us. it, it almost
0: to us. suggests that all the rest of your brand structure is for white men, and here's the one pillar for exactly.
1: no. white exactly. And by the way, we have to have the business case to to actually hire those diversity um, hires. So um, Let's put that as a proof point within the, within the pillar, um, and that is a conversation I've heard many times as well. We have we're committed to D, to diversity inclusion now, and as of you know, eight months ago, it's DEI. Um, we're we're committed to that right now because we've done the research and it supports the business. <laughs> and it, every time it's just like it's not about do the right thing here. It's just it it's it. It, there's a the business case. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a business case to hire women. There's there's a business case to hire people of color. You know.
0: Yeah, it, that to me has always been the struggle: is that when you frame DEI in a moral case, it okay, that's great, do that, but not it business. The business and morals don't really go hand in hand. There's yeah. all, there's some sort of overlap, but you can't make a purely moral discussion in a business case. However, you're right. There are absolutely business reasons why diversity is incredibly important. And if you don't frame it that way, it's like saying I have an apple and I have a Studebaker and I'm going to glue them together. And you're like, whoa, 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 that's not going to (laughs)
1: fit. Right, right, right. But um, I I, I strongly believe that the the DEI should have its own value proposition and be its own component of the corporate brand, as should anything that's CSR related. I don't think that... um, you only develop the messaging for them when you're doing an employer brand work and thinking, oh, we've got to come up with something for that. And that's oftentimes what happens.
0: But if that's the case, if I'm counting right, you've got what the brand is for employer brand, what the brand is for corporate brand, what the brand is for consumer brand, what the brand is potentially for marketplace brand, what the brand is for investor relations, what the brand is for uh, environmental, social good, and and governance rather. And then now you've got D&I. I've got seven different audiences who are touching this thing called brand, each thinking they have their own part of it. And yet somehow it's all the same. How do you put your head around that? Or how do you grapple with that?
1: Well, they they each have their own. Um, so each one of those components of the brand, ideally, and it gets even more complex than that when you think about different business divisions and each business division will layer up to the, the corporate brand um, strategy, they each have their own sets of positioning that layer up in some way to the corporate brand. So um, it's like building a house and these are all the rooms within it, but you know what, they're all made out of, you know, a certain type of wood. So yeah. it's part One of room the isn't a
0: castle. One room isn't a, you know, a, a, I don't know, a, a bungalow. They have to be the same kind of house.
1: Right. I And of course, you know, they can look a little bit different, but you know, structurally they're made out of the same material because they have to, because that material is holding the whole house together. And I'm usually not this, you know, metaphorical when I, when I talk. But it's me.
0: I blame me. I, I'm the influencer.
1: Because <laughs> I'm usually pretty direct and and boring and dry. Uh, well, I am now right now too, but I mean, usually I'm just like, yes, that is correct. No, it
0: is. <laughs> but, um, it's not a deposition. Come on, take it, take it to the next level.
1: <laughs> but uh, so, it's it's not that complex once you start to to blueprint everything out and so you know DEI would would sit within it's have its own value proposition that of course layers up to the corporate brand it would have its own support pillars it would be pulled into that messaging would be pulled into other parts of the brand depending on um the audience uh the the key audience or the, the audience segments that were being um you know, pulled into or communicated with. So um, it, it really, it depends on what the initiative, initiative is. And again, it depends on what the business strategy is um, that informs those initiatives. But um, yeah, they, they basically live together. They live in the same house in different rooms. And sometimes um, sometimes, different initiatives flow in and out of all of them, um, so to speak.
0: Yeah, so I'll be your metaphorical speaker on that one. I'll say, look, the bathroom and the bedroom, are both rooms in the same house, but one has carpeting, one doesn't because they serve different functions right, and those, exactly. those functions and those yeah. tactics don't overlay.
1: <laughs> what what yeah. I'm curious along yeah. these lines, and you've had, you have had so much experience dealing with this and you've been in a lot of different places and some pretty um, impressive clients in the past and impressive employers. And I'm curious about where you see employer brand doing its I guess living in its its best life within the corporate brand like how do you how do you envision that or how do you explain that
0: Yeah, I think of it in terms of a a, a maturity model, I guess, is probably the closest thing you can think of, and that is, you know, on one side, you have employer brand is a function of putting the butts in the seats, and it is pure recruitment, pure transactional, and then you kind of pilot some ideas about employer brand just to see, does this work for my company? Does this make any kind of sense? And then you say, okay, it does make sense. Let's kind of invest in it. Let's standardize it or formalize it inside the team. Let's go ahead and you know grow it and, and make it more advanced. And then finally, the more platonic ideal is this idea that there is simply a brand and everybody touches the same brand and treats it as uh, it, the process of, of, of supporting the brand is a shared process. It's a shared service mm-hmm. that I only touch part of it, but I know that my part impacts your part and i look at like a like a a delta and i know i've talked about holland and what she does and and, and her 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 role Mm -hmm. over there and that they don't have a standalone employer brand function in so much as they simply have a brand function and she is the Mm -hmm. overseer the 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 facilitator the supporter the cheerleader or champion of how a candidate employee sees and touches and it feels that brand that to me is where you know The 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 where it needs to be, but it's such a journey to get there because a brand has been so. built around this idea of how do I sell tacos? How do I sell ice cream cones? How do I, you know, I'm going to use this thing to, stick, you know, I mean, let's be fair. We're still telling people brand and logo are different things. We we're still very much in 1970s thinking in a lot of companies, right. getting them to this idea that a brand is a shared concept and construct of which everybody gets to perceive and understand it and use it in different ways is like quantum physics for some of these people. So it is, a huge leap, and that's why it's hard to get to the, the ones who can do it. I'm stunned by their ability to survive incredibly hard situations, incredibly hard uh, contexts of you know the pandemic and business cases or what have you.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's great. It's funny, you, it's quantum physics. I don't know if you've seen um, the articles that came out about three, three or four months ago, maybe it's a little bit longer, um, on quantum marketing, and it just. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to have to, that's a term I'm not familiar with. So I'm going to have to go look those up. That's no, it's, it's, this, terrifying, it's exciting
1: you know, how we all try to redefine what we're doing to make it sound even more impressive mm-hmm. than what we're really doing. And, and so that's really what down. it is. Um, but it's just really the optimization of of AI and machine learning and how you apply that to account based marketing. But yeah. it's you know, it's funny how, how we we tr- sometimes I feel that, you know, we're talking about the structures of brand and um, marketers and strategists and, and, and brand ec- experts really need to stop making our work sound more complicated <laughs> than it actually is, because, you know, Simplification um, is just a way of getting clearer and more targeted toward our goals and yeah. getting results. It's it's it amazes me sometimes um, how we how we have to complicate. But-, but
0: simplification to the world suggests dumbness, and simplification to us suggests room for people to project and to personify and personalize that idea that it's yeah. just this simple idea that. What it means to you and what it means to me may be subtly different, but because I can make those subtle changes, it feels more connected to me and therefore more powerful and more useful. Yeah. Yeah. Simplification, I think, is that's the way to go. Before we wrap up, it is, uh, we're recording December 22nd, 2020 still. good God. Um, yeah, this may not come out till January, but 2021, either a prediction or what's one thing you think everybody should look at or look for when kind of grappling with their employer brand?
1: I think they should be making sure that they are able to adapt to change. That's number 1. Um
0: and if they've gotten this far without doing so, that's a given.
1: <laughs> but I think that will, I think next year is going to be the big aha that oh we have to be a little bit more and I hate to use the word agile, but um, you know, nimble and and flexible in terms of uh, how of of our messaging as well as our delivery. And then the second thing is to keep, it's kind of along those lines, but keep open communication with talent, not only your employees, but external, um, uh, external or potential, external candidates or potential candidates. It's something that companies don't normally do, but I think the best way to keep a pulse on what's shifting and changing is to create a dialogue with them and that can be in a number of different ways whether um, it's seminars or webinars uh, digital experiences um, and then perhaps live in-person experiences toward the end of next year um, but things are going to get are, are, are not stable and they won't be stable for a while and the best way to do that is just to keep open communications and i, I think trends that we're going to be seeing it's that as we've seen purpose uh, be more prominent within corporate brand, and you know ultimately we, we're seeing that it's a trend and fashionable within employer brand. Um, I think what we're going to wind up seeing is how does that evolve and shift to not just a belief statement, but how we're measuring our our purpose and action. And so I think that's going to be very important to employers, um, I'm sorry, employees uh, next year or talent next year is seeing that metric of how much, tell me how much impact am I really going to make and don't just give me a bunch of fluffy bullet points, but really show me tangibly, you know, can I affect this community by 30% by doing XYZ as customer service or sales, et cetera. And I think that will be something that we'll be seeing.
0: Yeah, you've you've described kind of an anti-fragile methodology and anti-fragile approach to saying, look, rather than say, let's prepare for when things start to change or when things get crazy, just assume it's always going to be yep. crazy. So, what do you build around that idea? And I think that it, I, mean, I can't agree with you more. It is a it is a complete shift in worldview for everybody, and I think only some people have embraced it. I think there's still way too many talent acquisition pros just w- looking at their watch going, well, by June, we'll be back to normal. And right. Like, oh, it's not. No. Either. Yeah. That ain't happened. Jill, thank you so much for being on the show. The show. What the heck? The <laughs> podcast. What the, wow. I got, I just tripled my salary right there. by Maybe
1: it the should show. be a show. Maybe That's maybe, what it is. Maybe we should, you know, you should get a set and <laughs> that could be fun. <laughs>
0: there's a, a virtual zoom uh, background <laughs> that will be just the set. That's where it'll be. Uh, Jill Dodonis uh, over at gyro. Uh, she's out of basically you're still by, you're still in Chicago, right? You're oh, not, yeah. you moved.
1: I'm not going okay. anywhere. Yep.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, thank you so much for being in here. If you want to get in touch with Jill aside from LinkedIn, I will put a link in the show notes. Is there any other way people can get in touch with you?
1: Oh, no, just, uh, yeah, check me out on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, I have non-boring tweets on Twitter, so go there. Perfect, perfect. Um, My LinkedIn is boring, you know, business stuff. Uh, I try to shake it up, but nobody likes it. So go to Twitter and uh, direct uh, DM me or or email me either way.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you.